and we're live. I may as well just jump right into it. You want to jump right into it? <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> I see things, I jump right into them. You know, it's okay. it's a chronic uh, character flaw. You know, <laughs> if I were a TV character, it would be my greatest uh, strength, but also my most crippling weakness. Right, you're just always always rushing right in to get there, get it done, get started. We're gonna, are we gonna get started? Yeah, well, you know, it's like I just like getting things done because then I have free time. But then my free time actually happens after I get all my things done, and I'm just like a, a hamster running in a hamster wheel. You know what I mean? I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? I should have left myself some projects. I have the issue of when I stop doing things, I immediately pick up new projects and. Uh, <laughs> And then I run out of time and I'm like, why am I so stressed and out of time? <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I mean, you have it better than I do. I don't even wait until I've properly put down the project I'm working on before <laughs> I get distracted by something else and start it on yet another half-assed thing that will go nowhere. Yeah, well, I think we're a good team. Yeah, you know. We, we managed to get this done. Yeah, between with our powers combined, we will form one fully functional human being. There uh, we go. It's- <laughs> It's good, but I I still uh, want to get paid uh, $69 an hour to, to be a half-formed human being. That's right. That's right. Did 69. you see that? That Actually, I wish I, I actually wish to put that in our meme review, the, the 42069 work week. I think it might have been in, in its post. Oh, I didn't but, see that. No. Oh, yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna drop that uh, in, in our chat. <laughs> All right. Well, 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 while we're still uh, putting the show together, I'm going to get started on the front end of it. By the way, I'm your host, John. I'm joined by Lena. Yeah, welcome. Um, And just following up on the stripper strike in Portland, um, as of reporting coming out about 10 days ago, it seems like everything was going very well. Uh, They had gotten a lot of clubs to sign on with sensitivity training, um, better hiring and firing practices, you know, broader training for the client base, and also even some of the clubs that had never played rap music before started to play rap music and as we all know you know bands on rap music in institutions is usually just a form of racism so um yeah but why wouldn't you play rap music so it looks like they're getting um a, a a broader um kind of equality for uh, a lot of marginalized people, especially black workers in the industry. But since things started really popping off in Portland, you know, unmarked vans full of, uh, you know, unidentifiable federal officers, agents, peacekeepers, soldiers, I don't know what to call them, um, have been like disappearing people. Since it's that all went down, yeah, whatever, whatever I, the fuck. What's, double speak. I love, I love when peace includes people being disappeared. Yeah, right. Like, that's that's really great. But ever since that started <laughs> happening, I haven't been able to find any current reporting on uh, the stripper strike. So I just hope that they're they're staying safe. Their website is still up. It looks like they're still 
doing the thing. Um, I just hope that, you know, everybody in Portland except the police is staying safe. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know. Just watching them out there uh, doing their biweekly. Was it biweekly or is, is that, does that mean twice a week? Is I think that... biweekly strangely means both twice a week and every other week. It's not like okay. um, like biannual or biennial, which denote twice a year or every two years. I think with biweekly, you're just stuck with biweekly. Right. Yeah. So twice there are twice a week protests, and um, and I'm pretty sure that those were still going up. And just watching them do that was is always it's always inspiring to mm-hmm. see people out there fighting for their rights. Um, I did drop that meme. Uh, right there in your in the chat okay for you. awesome yeah so four four days a week 20 hours max 69 uh dollars per hour minimum wage <laughs> fight for the 420 69 work week i, I it has my full support <laughs> i mean yeah. shit people will say 69 is too high and i will say 69 is just nice that's it's, all there is to it nice. it's just nice getting into the meme review a little early just a little early it's been a big week and i think you know uh i don't know about you but i've been having a fairly stressful week um and so i just i just need to blow off some steam i just need to be like yeah yeah, 42069 weed number (laughs) sex number like that's (laughs) that's where my brain is at kind of working about this stuff right now because but also uh it, it's pretty awesome i think that if we do the math on that that uh comes out to what thirteen hundred dollars a week or something like that wow uh that's so, an actual living wage that's like yeah. a, that's a guaranteed standard of living that doesn't suck ass um i mean even if you live in an expensive housing market even if you live in one of the more expensive places in the country you could still easily get by on that that's that's nice yeah it has my full support plus you know <laughs> four hour days 20 hours a week are you fucking joking me maximum I think it, that that be that ends up being five hours a day but yeah five hours four times and then you walk you go home with 1300 bucks a week oh what is it four days oh so you always get a, you always get a three-day weekend at least mm-hmm. that's nice yeah so you're telling me i could go i could work three days a week for uh 6.66 hours a day oh, and shit. hit my hit my uh exact is that how it works, is that how it works? <laughs> I, I think that know. would i think that would add up correctly i don't want to do the math because i don't <laughs> want it to be wrong <laughs> three-day work week 6.66 hours a day thirteen hundred dollars I mean, it's that's smooth sailing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, with meme review part one, we're gonna we're gonna bring that one. Yeah, we're gonna uh, come back to, to that. Close. A little carrot. Uh, we're gonna dangle in front of you to keep you hooked for the rest of the episode. <laughs> right. Uh. So we're gonna start with actually. I think that's good that we're doing this later because I think that this episode is a little heavy because basically uh, in all of the articles and things we're going to be covering today, we're going to be drawing connections between uh, unionization, work conditions, uh, demands, and reopening stuff um, associated with teachers all to COVID-19. Yeah, it's a COVID-19 episode, folks. I hope you didn't think it wasn't going to be because it is. Yeah, I... we have uh, a couple different things that people are covering. I noticed that 
Uh, I've got I've been covering LA stuff uh, quite a bit lately, but we're gonna start uh, with some baristas who say that uh, they were unionizing. So apparently they had uh, pretty good work conditions. They were like, well. Everything was going well uh, for the most part. And as COVID was starting to kind of uh, show the the true nature of the business, right? Uh, I were, they began to see that, well, we need to be protected. And so they went through the process of unionizing and the they closed every single location wow. of the business. Well, I mean that is always uh, this is this is Augie's. Uh it's a it's uh, I'm guessing it's just like a coffee shop okay. in the LA area. Apparently, yeah, like I was saying there things were seeming okay for quite a while before COVID then their work conditions became tougher because we're literally facing a pandemic. They were probably <laughs> still told to come to work when they have lines around the corner, which yeah. I'm sure is incredibly unsafe. I mean, can you imagine a line around the corner and then separating each group by six feet? Uh, I mean, it's going to go around the whole block. Yeah, definitely. Well, and it's just a nightmare to even be serving people during this pandemic at all. Like whenever I have to go to the store and buy something, I'm like, I think about what it would be like to be the person on the other side of the counter, because, you know, if this had struck three years ago, I would be the person on the other side of the counter at the beer store, mm-hmm. you know, or at Starbucks yeah. if it had struck five years ago. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I suggest that when you interact with any of these workers, tip them. I mean, I've had one person deny me a tip during this pandemic. Uh, it was mind blowing that someone did not like was refusing to accept a tip. But I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, money is dirty basically. as shit, basically. Uh, I don't know if this was why they did it, but I guess I can no. understand being concerned. They said for that health. their boss wasn't going to let them, and they they were basically some kid who was afraid of getting fired. Oh uh, yeah, well, I mean, some bosses are crazy about that kind of thing. But I mean, I'm the kind of person that would have just slid that shit in my pocket anyway. That's just me. Yeah. Um. For sure, I, I still suggest that uh, if you have a way to tip the people who are doing work for you, do it. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so it looks like a bunch of these employees who refused to show up for shifts in the spring due to fears over the coronavirus were then later locked out of shifts. And then that escalated into like just straight up shutting down a bunch of locations. And of course, I think that they shut down every location. Really? Yeah. So then yeah. so and then they blame it on the coronavirus, obviously. But like, I think that it's really much more plain that they were not interested in dealing with a unionized workforce. It's kind of like how uh, people talk about like, oh, if you raise the minimum wage, McDonald's is just going to do all kiosks and there won't be any cashiers anymore and it'll eat up a bunch of jobs. And it's like McDonald's okay. was going to do that anyway. McDonald's, they if they can spin it in, in the media to make it look like a reaction to the $15 minimum wage or whatever, all the better for them. But they were already moving towards that. Like, it's the same thing with this. Yeah. Like, they had to shut down because of the coronavirus, you know, and they could have squeezed more money out of their employees by treating them like shit. But as soon as they put up any resistance, they were like, nope, you know what? It's not worth it. We're just going to shut the place down and oh. take the L on the whole thing. In the in the case of McDonald's, I think that if a business 
uh, shuts down because they can't pay their workers under a living wage or they can't. Yeah. If they can't pay their workers under a living wage, then the, the in my opinion, those jobs don't need to exist. And we've said this about a couple other jobs, but yeah. like those jobs shouldn't exist. Can they automate McDonald's jobs? Please do it. We need to be getting people into jobs that actually pay or just literally meeting their needs without them needing to go to work. Yeah. I think that honestly, if I think you should get paid to go to school, right? Like starting in high school, you should probably start receiving like a small stipend. So you learn what it's like to have money and you learn how to manage it. And then if you want to get higher education, like that's broadly going to serve society. So you should, instead of paying to get that education, you should get paid to get that education because getting an education in something, even if it's not rocket science, even if it's just, I don't want to disrespect anything by not calling it rocket science, but let's say you're researching in a fairly simple, like, you know, accessible field for most people. It's still a full-time job. <laughs> you have to study like a lot of hours in a day and you have to go to classes. You have to arrange transportation. You need to make sure that you have food with you. And then we wonder like, you know, why do these corporations get to get away with so much stuff? It's because if they have all the power, if they take the jobs away, there are no jobs left anywhere. So, you know, I'm pretty anarchist. I don't know if it should all be done through the state, but we definitely need some alternative to these capital institu- capitalist institutions being the only place for us to go and earn a living of any kind. I love the concept of getting paid to go to school just because it really does put on its head the um, whole, you know, if you're going to try to better yourself, you need to make some sort of investment. Like, why is it that we are not investing in these people? Right, exactly. Isn't it to our benefit as humans of the world to have everybody have people be educated and therefore to pay them to do that work doesn't that just make sense yeah i mean have you ever met a student who also was like part-time or even sometimes a full-time employee somewhere these people have no time they're doing homework on their breaks at work and they're worrying about shit that they're going to have to deal with at work while they're in class and then they're still trying to get a degree in like applied engineering or whatever on top of all that and it's like you know, I'm sure these are brilliant kids a lot of the time or brilliant people broadly, but like their education is going to suffer. If somebody's going to be a civil engineer in your city, don't you have a vested interest in making sure that they're the best civil engineer that they can possibly be? Doesn't that go for almost anybody who serves you in a broad social sense or whose work benefits you? I also love like starting to pay people who are doing labor who have not classically been paid. And I think that it extends all the way to house workers, people who have been um, basically dominated by the um, ideology that people should like homemakers should just do it for free because it's, it meets the interests of the parties um, there. But then, you know, I guess what is that? It's so that some of the other person has time to go to work and then they deserve to get paid. Yeah. But of course, you know, most parents, uh, both, both parents work now, you know, like, in in almost all situations, there are very few stay at home parents, uh, left in the United States at all anymore. And it's because it doesn't make any fucking money and it's a hard job. It's insanely difficult. Like I've never had a job that put as much stress on me as raising me, put on my mom 
like it, never once. It just reminds me of like the the concept of not being able to imagine things outside of the way that capitalism is structured everything. Mm-hmm. Like people really struggle to to imagine that that their significant other who might be a stay-at-home um houseworker or something like that uh that they are paid for that work. Like that's it's like the idea that everyone should be paid for their important labor right is uh is a foreign concept under capitalism because we still need these exploited people in order to keep everything moving well and it's like people under capitalism have no problem understanding that if you were going to have somebody from outside your household come to your house and clean it and take care of the children for a set amount of time and maybe the pets and maybe some other household duties that you would pay them that they deserve to be paid. And yet when it's someone from within the household, we just say like, Oh, that work is just taken for granted. It's just, we don't even really say anything because the social norm is to ignore it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I definitely think that that's something that we should do a deeper dive on at some point and, and really talk about um, a lot of jobs that are literally not paid that need to be paid. Yeah. But um, in in the meantime, uh, and and we're literally going to get to some of those people later in the episode. Well, and not specifically those people in the in the episode, but more like the the um, child care workers. It's and, all related. It, when we yeah, were talking about so, this, so similar. When we were talking about this before we were on mic on the episode, it really got me starting to think about like a lot of things in a in a broader context relevant to that. And I haven't like really visited this topic since I like first started getting into like, you know, alternatives to capitalism and, and internet theory and actual theory and stuff. So this, I think that coming back around to this now a year or two after starting in on those deep dives be really valuable. Yeah. I wonder, is there much, I mean, I'm sure there's more to cover about these baristas that basically all lost their jobs, which is, Honestly, everybody should be being paid to stay at home. Hopefully yeah. they're getting unemployment. If they if this place really closed because they thought that they couldn't run under a unionized workplace, which is literally it's an accusation by um, business owners sometimes that they can't work under a unionized workforce because yeah. it's going to cost them too much money. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, but fuck your business. Yeah, well, um, it's like I'm not even sure my employer is going to keep the company running much longer because they got their PPP loan grant, whatever. And then two members of the family got new trucks. And now I haven't fucking heard from them at all. They just have their preferred underling basically running the company totally by himself. Like, I think they're just going to bail. I mean, it's not surprising. In fact, we're going to see this um, with the, uh, I've been listening to some other um, analysis on the help from the government about whether or not they're going to actually start creating systems for because um, the what was it the CARES Act and and a couple other things are basically going to expire mm-hmm. August one and they don't have a plan in place they're not going to have a plan in place and there's going to be a significant amount of time whether it be a day or a couple days or a week. Where the people are literally just left out to dry. Yeah. Well, the the politicians' whole tactic in the United States, Democrats and Republicans both, has been to act like this is going to go away soon. And it 
you you can't get it to go away unless you do something about it you know you don't you can quarantine everybody really strongly and 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 do a lot of outreach and education like some places like vietnam did uh and have zero deaths or you can take a less strict approach like japan just enforced mask use they had no quarantine and just this last week they've basically gotten to resume to normal levels of social function you know barring like international travel uh because everybody observed the mask usage rule and yet in the united states we have done fucking nothing about it and at every turn the media and the politicians are acting like this is only going to be a problem for a few more weeks a month tops yeah it's it's ridiculous and we're literally putting people's lives at risk just for the the golden idol of the fucking economy mm-hmm. or whatever is normal i think that it's we're going to get a, like when we talk about the uh child worker or the the child care workers and then i think we're also going to get to some teachers mm-hmm. uh just the the idea that children need to go back to school i think is absurd uh, and i mean back to physical schools right um but i mean we're i think we're getting ahead of ourselves here yeah we're getting a little here. ahead of ourselves we do want to talk about uh another quick thing before we move on to the stuff that's going to be the real meat and potatoes of the episode where some house democrats apparently want their staff to be able to unionize uh following some kind of secret covid-19 case right so this is a uh, on the state level in ohio and we this is a, one of those interesting cases of groups of people who aren't allowed to unionize and these are staff workers and i and i'm pretty sure that this extends to many other places in the government where staff workers are it's not just ohio state level right. staff staffers that aren't allowed to unionize i i think that even on a federal level they're not allowed to unionize uh which is and, insane and i yeah, I mean, like, these are people who are, like, deeply embedded in the politics, and they are not allowed to have a collective say in their work conditions. Well, and in a lot of cases, like, I'm no fan of bourgeois politics in general, which is the arena in which these people work. But whatever work your elected officials are pretending that they're doing is actually work that they're making these people do. So in in a very real way, these people are the actual engine of government in the United States. They're the reason that right. forms get filed, stuff get turned gets turned in, speeches get written and edited on time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and they are not allowed to do any sort of collective action. I think that uh, there probably are literal laws against even wildcat strikes mm-hmm. or any sorts of work stoppages in that uh, in the in this particular field of uh, staffers on the legislative level. I'm sure it also includes anyone who's in, in the executive or judicial levels as well. Yep. Um, it's probably so. literally illegal. Yeah. Like you, they will go, you will go to jail or pay huge amounts of fines for not doing your job in protest. Right. Yeah. So apparently these staffers were having some concerns about disregard for COVID-19 safety practices in the workplace. Like literally what you were just talking about. Yeah. Which is, like, crazy to me. Like, I, I don't understand how you can be in this situation right now and not religiously observe uh, basic health and safety standards. Like, I, you know, I work in a parking lot in the morning for four hours uh, before I go to my other spot with three over 60 men who like to talk to each other without masks on and walk around the lot shaking people's hands and slapping people on the back oh and saying, gosh. hey, it kills me. It might literally like- kill me. 
I mean, that reality aside, like if one of them has it, then they all then have they it. all get it, and then everyone in your and then all, work has all it. their grandkids have it too, and then those grandkids go back to school, and then everybody in their fucking insanely huge classes has it because we don't have anything resembling decent student to teacher ratios in this country, not least of all because teachers are quitting in mass because they don't want to go back into COVID infested classrooms. Like it's just everything is so fucked from every direction right now. The fact that they also like the idea of of quitting is one of those um, kind of Americanized ways of, of, of striking in a certain way because it does end up being just like an individual action. It's like if we took the first uh, thing we covered, the stripper strike, yep. if, like, if one of them was out in the street saying, hey, we want you to respect people of color, if one person was out there, it's going to do nothing. Yeah, like Not to say that that person isn't right. It's... It's more that you need collective action, and I don't want to tell people that they shouldn't quit and look for other ways to get their material needs met, but uh, I do think that it is in some small part our responsibility to do collective action at this point in order to make people take this sort of thing seriously. Yeah, well, I mean, I know that organizing a union or even just organizing your workplace in any way is a pretty difficult task. But if you're already at the point where you're considering quitting your job, like, you know, if you really like your job and, and, and you're truly outraged at the way that it's being handled or administrated, why not make a make a unionization attempt or some other organization attempt, even if it feels like it's just an insane Hail Mary to you? You might be surprised how receptive your coworkers are to it, and you might be surprised, um, you know, how well it all works out in the end. Especially yeah. if, like, a lot of teachers, faculties, and, like, a lot of education faculties are very close-knit. These people get to know each other. Like, teaching is a lifetime profession in a, in a lot of places in the United States. Some people stay at the same school district for, like, 40 years longer. So, you know, if you just need if, if you're like oh i could never radicalize the other teachers in my department well maybe you're the only cool marxist or anarchist professor on the faculty but i bet if you spoke in plain even like english a liber- even like a, a liberal who believes in unionization yeah, I mean, yeah exactly exactly i mean you don't have to be a socialist or or an anarchist or whatever but like that's the other thing neither do the people that you're getting into the union you literally just have to let them know that they're going to get more money and better working conditions because that's really all most people care about is their safety and security yeah and that's that's actually i think that the the point we we need to always get back to when we talk about uh, organizing people is that people it may seem that someone may not join your side but when you tell them that this problem that they're facing that we are all facing is going to be addressed or we are going to demand that they address it then people start to think well this is actually a form of power and this is something that i should do and and it doesn't matter where you are politically i mean um yeah I, there are one of the things that w- the reason one case that I've actually gone over recently with some other friends uh, is whether or not a certain sector of people can strike in, um, I think, New York area. Um, and it's literally illegal for them to do that okay. because there is a law on the books from when some literal like 
white nationalists did some sort of strike and and it caused these issues because they were like they wanted the right to discriminate or something like that and so then they okay. made yeah. striking in this industry illegal um and so now these people who are facing terrible work conditions associated with covid and and other things are are literally terrified of striking because it's against the law but if you actually look at the history of these of this law it's been enforced one time right and it one really didn't time. have anything to do with the fact that it was a labor issue it had to do with the fact that it was a discriminatory issue like yeah. you can't strike for the right to do something that's unconstitutional i mean like i don't know not that i have any venerated respect for the constitution or anything but within the logic of american law like that wouldn't make any sense <laughs> like, yeah well, and this is just like a, a way that the right would you be like, oh, you want us to avoid people being able to strike for racist reasons? Well, we're going to just get rid of your right to strike. Yeah, that is some and, backhanded shit right there, too. You know yeah. that that was some like conniving fucking capitalist who was like, this is a great opportunity for me. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I definitely encourage people, even if there are laws against you organizing and striking, I, I think that it is a pretty safe bet that you just get out there and wildcat strike anyway. I, I mean, like, I don't want to be like, they can't fire us all. Uh, but I mean, that's (laughs) kind of what a strike is about. It's kind of the idea. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's kind of part of the underlying premise for sure. But yeah, I mean, just to circle back to these House Democrats for one second, I do think that they should be able to unionize, and I do think that they should be able to protest the conditions that they work in. I mean, was it Amy Klobuchar in the presidential primary who was in hot water for throwing a stapler? Yeah, throwing a stapler (laughs) at one of her aides? Like, that's totally unacceptable. Nobody in any position should ever be able to throw a stapler at a coworker whether they're a subordinate or not. I mean, maybe if, maybe if they're your boss, I think maybe you should get one stapler throw. (laughs) (laughs) Flip it around. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I actually, I think that we did one thing we didn't quite cover on this uh, story is one of the reasons why you said it was a, it was a secret COVID-19 case, but Mm -hmm. it's actually specifically, they were complaining about Republican staff, not, not just staffers, but uh, Republican um, Congress people, Congress people literally not wearing masks and how COVID was basically spreading around this office. And like, it would be one thing if they just sat in their office, they didn't wear their mask in their office. And then, you know, whenever they left, they went, from there to their car. I mean, like, that's still not great. Yeah, well, you know... That's it's still like, not great, but it's not that. They actually are walking around these halls without a mask, basically just being virus spreaders. I really hate and it. And so that is why they're fighting to get their rights to unionize right. back is because they want to be able to do collective action against these horrible work conditions. They are literally in a vi- of like a virus-spreading zone because of these idiots. Yeah, I mean, I, I really hate to ever take a stance where i'm like oh i think the republicans really are that much worse than the democrats because it feels like i might be giving the democrats credit and i really don't ever want to do that yeah but the republicans have been particularly bad about the mask thing it's like they're actively encouraging their base and leading by example to spread the virus around as much as possible i mean the huge rallies donald trump and mike pence 
had not been seen either of them wearing a mask until Donald Trump posted Just something very like recently. yesterday or the day before at the time of recording. Yeah. Um, and Pence still That's has not been tw- seen with one. Um, yeah, it's the 21st right now. Yeah, so. and it's just like, it, it's it's really gnarly, and they're so fucking crazy, and they've turned it into a Jesus thing. They've turned it into a, a rights thing. There's Ben Garrison cartoons about it. Like, I just can't <laughs> fucking handle it. Like, it... I, those Ben Garrison cartoons, I've seen some of them defaced, and when they are when they're defaced, they're very funny. They're so when they, funny. But when they are like in their original form, they are like vomit worthy. Yeah, that's the thing too. Is it's like I really encourage people out there to take right wing content and flip it into left wing content because it really steals a lot of their thunder and it gets like normies thinking about uh, the ideas that you've inserted into it. And I have some hesitation if it's not, like, done well. But if you can really achieve uh, what Guy Debord called detournement, which I'm sure I'm not saying correctly, um, where where you've really flipped the message and you've really made something subversive, then I think that it's really good. And Ben Garrison is just a prime wow. example of a, of a place to do that. I actually haven't – I haven't heard that, that phrase before. I, um, is there – is it just like basically where you take something and then reappropriate it effectively uh, for your own agenda or? Yeah. So you take something that is um, determinant. I'm, I said it wrong the first time for sure. It's where, where you take something that originally was basically like from the dominant culture, the hegemonic culture, capitalist culture, you know, whatever. And then you you flip it on its head and you give it a nonsensical or an antithetical to its original meaning kind of a meaning. Like uh, if you Google image search it, a really good example is a Marlboro ad that has been flipped around to say it's a bore and it's still got the cowboy there and the, the black and red background or like the Pepsi the new Pepsi logo that's been turned into a guy engorged on Pepsi waddling around, uh, holding it and, uh, you know, just stuff like that. Or like, you know, this, um, Abbey road like cover po- where poignant satire, yeah. Poignant satire, like this, um, Abbey road cover where instead of one of the Beatles, they have a riot cop macing Paul in the face. <laughs> Yeah, all right. That would I actually just uh, imagining it got, got a reaction from me. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing that you see all the time in online meme culture, and I think with the right wing being so powerfully appropriative of so much of online culture recently, and you know, really being the first people who stole stuff like Pepe and Wojak memes and Rage comics and all of that stuff that's kind of interrelated that way people can be hesitant about trying to flip that stuff back over into the leftist realm. But I think that it's important that we do because we only have the cultural tools that we have, you know, otherwise you have to invent ones wholesale, which I encourage you to try to do as well, but it's much harder and sometimes yeah. gives limited results. I I would say that originally I was definitely against a lot of the uh, like reappropriation because I thought what I thought I saw was just, bad attempts yes it's just like people not doing a truly good job at flipping it around and so that it didn't resemble that nazi thing or that you know that right wing um kind of representation of this particular thing or it wasn't um 
very blatantly against that. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that we've seen through some of the new appropriation of these like rage comics and such is we see very poignant changes mm-hmm. and very like very vi- visible differences in those particular leanings of like what it means. What is this particular, what does it meme? Yeah. What does it know? mean? Yeah. Well, I think that the, the uh, Lord forgive me, I'm going to say the discourse. I think that the discourse has really evolved a lot since the beginning of the Trump presidency when a lot of people were, um, just burned out by the fact that that happened, burned out by the first cycle of um, Bernie getting our hopes up and then uh, failing. And during the election cycle where Bernie was still a contender, I think a lot of people who were on the left, even if they weren't totally committed to Bernie, even if they were like, I'm an anti-electoralist, like they still felt that there was that momentum in the air of something that felt like it had legs as like a popular movement. And then when the bottom fell out on that, uh, everybody was scrambling to figure out like what the next analysis to do was because everything seemed so bleak. And I think just in the last few weeks, people are starting to get their mojo back and and start to really get that imagination to think outside of just the despair around them and come up with creative solutions, which I think is really cool. And I think you can see it reflected in the meme culture. Yeah, I think it's been ramping up for a little bit, but at this point we are seeing like genuine representations of of like bringing things back so that they're actually funny. Yeah. Like like I I don't think that like being racist is funny. Like I don't I don't mean to be like a a, a humorless <laughs> person in that way, but like there are ways to be funny without making it racist. Yeah. I don't, I don't mean to burst anyone's bubble here. It's like one thing if you're like, I came up with this idea for a guy and he's really racist in this way. And you think that that's funny because that is, that can be funny commentary on like the way that things actually are. But a lot of people, I just think don't really set boundaries in their bits or in their ideas that differentiate between that. And pretty soon they're just reflexively spouting, these character ideas because it's just a new way to get to say something edgy. And it's just because it, it's part of the classic hegemonic culture. Really? It's just like, there is racism. You want to make a racist joke because they've always been laughed at. Yeah. And so what you do is you try and do the new way to be racist yeah. and Oh, I'm, I'm acknowledging racism. So this makes it okay. I mean, this is like when people say that you're not supposed to sympathize with the, um, with the antagonist right uh in 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 media and the truth is is that or i should say almost like bad protagonists well yeah they've made they're 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 like glorified and people are like oh that's me i should act that way Well, because they don't think maybe that's really what i meant they don't make them anti-heroes anymore an anti-hero has like a glimmer of humanity and like they're all like tragic heroes who become villains or just villains from the outset and then they're the main character so it's like, who do you right. think people are going to become invested in? Like, It's going to be yeah. them. The camera's on them all the time. Or they're in the frame all the time if it's a cartoon. <laughs> Rick and yeah, Morty. Definitely <laughs> Bojack <I> Horseman. <clears throat> uh. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's trash, honestly. Yeah, I hate those fucking shows. Well, now that we're also a media uh, analysis yeah. podcast, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which actually I think that uh, with... Uh, some of our future Patreon episodes, we're going to be actually doing a little bit of media. Yeah, analysis. we're going to be much more of a media analysis podcast. Uh, um, we'll see. 
we'll we'll see because current events is it's wild. It's on fire. Yeah, I don't know. Everything's but going crazy. So right much now. to talk about. Yeah. In, in fact, um, speaking of, there's another thing we want to talk about in California. Yet again, uh, we have a union vote uh, amongst some childcare providers who right, right. don't even all work at the same place. It looks like this is just a regional industry wide uh, open shop union that they're trying to set up. Yeah. And I think that this is a really good example of another way to unionize like outside of a standard you talking to your coworkers on the floor or, you know, maybe you're working from home and you're emailing and you're trying to like keep things on the DL. This is literally people who don't work together they just work in the same industry and they're trying to get things changed in the way that things are practiced yeah which is awesome and uh i saw that it said they were modeling their union after sag uh aftra i think i'm saying that right mm-hmm. um which is the actors guild which is cool because i mean i've i've often said that i think a lot of unions just don't have a big enough scope you know you got like the iww who's like one big union but it's hard to get everybody on board with one big union maybe i think a better solution would be a lot of big unions like maybe there should be just to be a plurality of unions and have some really big ones and have a bunch of little ones and some affiliations between them and i think industry-wide unions is a really really good place to start like I think it's a good place to start. I do think that the issue that they run into is solidarity, uh, like strikes. Right. It, it's a lot easier when everyone in your union strikes. But so even if your union is kind of big, which we do see this even like uh, if, if there's someone under the AFL that is striking, the AFL is not going to strike. Right. Like I, I like we see failings of unions to actually show this very important solidarity uh, work. But. I, I do think that one of the things that we need to be working towards when we they talk about one big union right. is because of the ability to do solidarity strikes. So I, I do agree with you, John, but like I do think that we need to make sure to keep in mind that the goal here is collective power. Right. Well, that's what I really think is what's important would be like a higher level of cooperation among different unions, you know, mm-hmm. like uh if we had organizations that served as go-betweens or you know I, I don't know that maybe there's not some perfect pattern of of getting unions to overlap with one another that will solve all the problems but i really do think that it would be uh a really big help and you make an interesting point because with these open shop unions like if some of the people in your union are striking you don't necessarily have the means to enforce getting everybody to strike which is what would actually ensure you know, that these, these needs are met. So, right. So imagine like there was a piece of legislation that was going to truly affect these childcare workers Mm -hmm. and that it was say to supplement their income, uh, with, I mean, they definitely struggle with making sure that they have enough to pay anyone who's helping them or to, to get everything done. And, so what if they all went on strike? And so who is going to be upset? We're literally going to have parents being like, I can't go to work because I can't. This is a, assuming there is no COVID. I don't think that we should be advocating for people to be going to work. Right. But but I can't go to work without my daycare being open. And my, hold on, my cat. Okay. Um, I can't go to work without my daycare being opened. And so you need to meet these 
care workers' needs. Like they, yeah. they, there's it'll literally trickle down, not in the the sense of the classic term, but to to like the needs of the people to say that they'll you need to be in solidarity with the child care workers to get these actions or to get this like legislation, let's say, right. passed or these conditions changed. Well, I, yeah, it would like you could say it would like ripple up into other industries yeah. right because isn't yeah. that the whole lie of trickle-down economics is like that's not how power works power comes from the bottom right. exactly and i mean what could be more fundamental and essential than child care like it's unbelievably important especially in a, i mean like again you shouldn't have to go to work during covid both parents shouldn't have to work you should be able to have somebody at home taking care of the kids uh, but barring that kind of financial security, assuming we live in the system that we live in, like you at least have to understand that childcare is like an incredibly essential service. And a lot of these places, they're limited to 10 kids. Uh, they only make about $50 per child per day. And so if they hire even part-time staff, it can be up to a third of their revenue, not to mention their operating costs, licensing this fees and all one. that other shit. This says one, like, assistant. Yeah. It would take about a third of their uh, income. And that is if their assistant is paid minimum wage, which I'm guessing in this area is $15. Which you shouldn't pay your assistant's minimum wage anyway, which is, like, a little bit weird because I know a lot of childcare, they're essentially, like, private contractors. So they're kind of like a small business Mm -hmm. owner, but they're also kind of like a worker because they do the majority of the work themselves. So, you know... That's the thing is it's like if they are going to take on employees, they should be making enough money that it's reasonable to mandate that they pay their assistants X amount of money. Like if you want there to be protections in the union for these actual just hourly hired workers, then you need to make sure that the structure of money coming into essential services like childcare facilities is thought out in advance and makes sense and accommodates skilled workers doing essential work. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, someone who is advocating for this union uh, is saying uh, in this article, this L.A. Times article, uh, Doris Ruiz uh, says that uh, they're working many hours without any salary and that they spend so much time cleaning that, I mean, like they're they didn't say exactly how many hours it is, but you can kind of imagine if they're doing 40 hours of childcare, they're probably doing 20, 30 hours of cleaning, preparation, yeah. shopping, cooking, yeah. all of these yeah. things. Well, because, I mean, a lot of people are doing this in fairly big homes, right? Because, like, you know, if you have... Maybe. Yeah, I mean, or, you know, a small space. But either way, that's money that you have to have every month, whether it's your mortgage, your rent, or your rent on a on a professional space so it's like it doesn't really leave a lot of room for people who want to professionally take care of children to make any kind of money especially if they're running themselves ragged working 60 70 hours a week between taking care of the kids and cleaning and prepping and maintaining and making sure it's a safe and healthy environment all during covid yeah and i yeah i mean really exemplifying during covid yeah because like we don't know what these kids do when they go home. They might be playing with other children who might have um, some conservative parent who doesn't want to wear a mask. They 
go to work or they go to the grocery store, they refuse to wear masks, and then that gets the child to be an asymptomatic spreader, that child be, spreads it to another child, and then suddenly through the entire daycare system. I mean, like, mm-hmm. these people are people at risk. I mean, how many daycare providers are going to die? Yeah, I know, right? I mean, it's basically the same issue that a lot of teachers are facing right now, which uh, kind of I'm going to I'm going to softly mix in some of our next uh, story because. Yeah. Well, it's all about ch- it's about children. I mean, yeah. it, it, it transitions very nicely, honestly. Um, and and I, and I want to just say one last thing about it's like it's not just also about people dying. It is about permanent health damage. Yeah, it's about years removed from people's lives whether they die this year or they just die 10 years earlier this is very very real consequences to people getting sick yeah absolutely um and and so yeah this is a great opportunity to move to teachers um because we're going to be talking about this very seriously with basically everyone saying that we need to open schools um and we're talking about florida teachers and uh, I'll let you t- I'll let you take that. Yeah. So there's a teacher union called the Florida Education Association, which is accusing Governor Ron DeSantis and other state officials of violating a state constitutional mandate to keep public schools safe and secure by reopening them. And everybody in power in Florida right now is very, very invested in getting these schools open again because then they can bring all of the adults back to work. Even though Florida is one of the biggest hotspots for COVID-19 right now, one of, it has the most super spreader events, it has incredibly high death rates, uh, their medical system is completely overwhelmed. And yet, despite all of that, State Speaker of the House Richard Corcoran issued an emergency order uh, in which he said schools were not just the site of academic learning, but also key places for nutrition, socialization, counseling, and extracurricular activities. Basically, all is a big front uh, to say reopening schools is crucial to Florida's hitting its full economic stride, which is just, yeah. I can't make the little jerk off motion in the air and then toss my hand in the wind more flippantly than I do when I read that statement right there. Yeah. I think that it really speaks to the fact that they don't want to meet those needs. They want schools to be open so that they can have more jobs moving so that the economy can start moving. They're not concerned about nutrition. They're not concerned about socialization and uh, counseling, extracurricular activities. They're not concerned about that even one little bit. If they were, they would be creating new programs that actually kept people safe instead of just saying, let's send these kids back to a to a death camp. Yeah, and it is a death camp. I mean, when Betsy DeVos was asked about reopening the schools in the country, she said, um, and I'm sure that the statistics that she was quoting from were much more conservative than what would actually happen. But what she said was, according to the statistics I have, if we send kids back to schools, only 0.02% of them will die. And apparently that's right. acceptable so how to her. Many, it's tens yeah, of thousands um, of children. It's I think it was like 16,000, something like that. I'm not actually sure how many it really is. But, you know, one would be unacceptable. One easily exactly. preventable death. And there have already been... A lot of them like uh, and we're here to try They're just saying we got to get those numbers up. Like, I don't understand how you can think that that is acceptable to like treat people like statistics, like literally to to actually this is really like the definition of like treating people like statistics. 
Well, they don't care. They just want their economy to open back up again. They want super rich people to continue to get more super rich because that's the driver of uh, a, a lot of government, a lot of government decisions and a lot of getting to look like you're doing something is, you know, fucking military contracts and uh, uh, tie-ins with the Pepsi and, uh, you know, other huge companies. I don't know, Red Bull, whatever. And like a lot of these companies are... They don't have a customer base right now. And that's the other crazy thing, too, is it's not that they want to get people back to work. They want to get customers back to the places where people work. That's really their main goal is to turn right. the money vacuum back on. Yeah. And 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 somehow it's still connecting. I mean, I guess I was uh, all I was always kind of a assuming that this was about kind of having a presentation of a normal society and that that was kind of one of their main goals behind wanting to make sure that we get all the children back to school. We get literally the classes full up to the brim and that being their main goal. And then you, you did mention that like these people or these teachers, they need to justify paying them. Yeah. They need to justify giving these people money so that they can go out and keep the economy rolling so that we can teach these children to be nice little consumers and that, you know, if a couple die, oh, gosh, that's just too bad. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I just hate the rhetoric because it is so even counter to some of the, what you would hear before is like uh, in like war situations, not one American life. Right. But we're literally saying, how about 15,000 children's lives? Yeah. In addition to all of the adults who will die. Because that's the other thing. It's not just the kids. Like, the teachers will get sick. Classrooms are incubators for <laughs> diseases. And this is a particularly easily transmissible one. Kids aren't fucking hygienic by any stretch of the imagination. They'll wipe their nose on their hand and then their hand on their friend's shirt. And not even fucking think twice about it. Yeah. So. And like, sure, you can kids. Kids are adaptable. Like, you can teach kids to wear masks or whatever. If I had a but kid, I mean, like, I'd be fucking homeschooling all the time. Like... All the time. I'm sorry, but like, I can't even. We can't even teach adults to wear masks all the time. Oh my god! And some of them throw incredibly childlike tantrums. You know, especially in the United States. Like, what an in- insane country we have here. Um, speaking of what an insane country we have here, we do want to cap off the episode. Oh yeah, let's move to the meme yeah. review. We want to cap off the episode with some funny can we stuff. Get, can we get some like a like a sound transition when we go to the meme review? I think at maybe some point? yeah, maybe like maybe a whooshing kind of bell that. noise. Some, yeah, okay. So we'll, we'll get yeah. something cooked up. Uh, yeah. But we just wanted to move to the meme review because it's real funny. And this week we're doing one of the funniest, most evergreen things that you can possibly do, which is dunking on libertarians. <laughs> dunking on libertarians. Yeah. Uh, so we have an issue in Portland which I think has actually been an issue at other times mm-hmm. in the United States, but it's being really uh, brought to light right now, which is unmarked police officers. Well, maybe they just say police on them, right? Yeah, they. I think they're just yeah. like wearing federal-looking tactical gear. Like they don't really have any and, noticeable identification markings. Right, and they're disappearing people, and by that we mean like picking them up in unmarked vehicles, mm-hmm. interrogating them, and then presumably releasing them if there's not a reason to put them under arrest. And these are people who were known to be at protests who are like that are still going on in case anybody like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably do know that the protests are still going on. But if you don't, I mean, they are. And 
people are being taken in, you know, blacked out vans for going to these protests. And, and this, this, this particular meme review of on is that's dunking on libertarians is, uh, like here, let's let's start just start with one of them. We got this the the don't step on snick flag. The Gadsden and, flag. Uh, and uh and it's uh be nice to me or I'll let the government kidnap you. <laughs> uh it's really just I, I think it shows how conservatives are um not concerned. Yeah, I mean they the the libertarian right, quote unquote, has solidarity with the authoritarian right, basically. And you know, they're the whatever non aggression principle that these idiots subscribe to basically doesn't just mean that like oh don't harm anybody which it obviously doesn't really mean that but it also means like don't protect anybody from harm so it's kind of a live and let die situation which is just incredibly stupid and it also is worth noting that like the gear that these people are wearing that who are disappearing people in portland is stuff that you can just order off the internet so you know, not that the police aren't a terrifying criminal organization. They are. But, like, other insane fringe groups could be using this moment as cover yeah. to do all kinds of shit like that. Right. When the when the federal government says, yes, we're doing this. I mean, because there, there, there's admitted people in the federal government yeah. saying that, yes, this is happening. Mm-hmm. What's to say that you couldn't just dress up that way, have your blacked out van, which you already have because you're a fucking creep. Uh, and and go around disappearing whoever you want, right? Like that, and that, and not to say that um, it's definitely I'm I'm saying that not trying to fear monger, I guess. I so I don't want to get into that realm necessarily, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, either. Um, and and I guess there's some of these other memes are uh, are making fun of the how people how libertarians want to adjust the age of consent yeah, laws. Yeah, which is uh, I or mean something. I you know, or, age of consent law jokes don't understand aren't it. necessarily funny on their own, but when they're levied at libertarians, they're like always funny because if you scratch a libertarian, a weird kind of pedophile always seems to be lurking just underneath. And if you, like they're the people who get into debates in their primary debates when, and yes, the libertarians do have primary debates are so deranged that they, you know, the libertarian party primary is one of the only places where you can say like, I don't think you should be allowed to sell heroin to a four year old and you will get booed by the entire audience. Um, and they're kind of the same way with age of consent laws. They're like, you're taking away 12 year olds rights by not letting me groom them systematically. Um, and so this guy, Brian Schatz, posts, libertarians should be freaking out about Portland, which if you actually are a libertarian, even if you're a quote-unquote right-wing economic libertarian, you should be freaking out about the government disappearing people. But then this absolute legend, uh, Hoon McMunch, replies, oh, did Portland raise the age of consent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and the next one is the is a Lego meme. Oh, yeah, uh, I love a Lego uh, meme. I, I want to vote third party. Vote libertarian. We'll get rid of the government. We'll get the government out of your life. And then the the person says, will you get rid of the Patriot Act? No, <laughs> just age of consent laws. Yeah. And then don't step on snake of, uh, of course, on that. That's all character. they, that's all they ever go for. You know, it's that, or it's, it's drugs or it's, you know, some other thing, but like, nah, nah I don't want to be like a dick about it, but like 90% of libertarians are huge creeps. <laughs> like, I just think it's true. 
and they're also totally ineffective, which is the subject of the next meme, which is again the Gadsden flag because it's it's such an amazing meme format. And it just says under it, listen, you shouldn't have called us posers who wouldn't actually stand up against tyranny because now we're not going to stand up against tyranny. So ha, in your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like why don't make fun of me what i think that literally just goes back to the the be nice to me or i'll let the government <laughs> kidnap you i think that that's just the more succinct version of that. yeah it really is this is just the wordy the wordy version and then um we have a meme that i i found that isn't doesn't have anything to do it's it's not even a meme it's just a twitter post uh but it doesn't have anything to do with libertarians but it says uh, a cop who vowed to shoot protesters through door of his home is charged with manslaughter after accidentally shooting dead fellow officer who came to his front door to pick up a patrol car <laughs> and it has a link to the article which is so fucking funny you know like oh, oh my wow. god give this give this man a darwin award pr- <laughs> right <laughs> yeah it's i mean if they weren't a cop it would almost be practice yeah well and it's so funny too because uh <laughs> they they show the two pictures of the guys in the the thumbnail preview and it's a shooter and victim under their photos and the shooter cop is in his cop uniform and the victim cop is in plain clothes which to uh-huh. me like maybe reflects a burgeoning media awareness that you can now paint cops as the bad guy and it will get shares um oh, which nice. i think yeah, is probably good good insight yeah who knows though? Who knows? I might be reading too far into something dumb. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that this last one, uh, is, is kind of, it's just a- applicable to this podcast. Maybe? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, may- maybe I shouldn't comment on this controversial issue online. Me five seconds later. Yeah. And then it has a Chuck Tingle cover of taken hotly by my handsome physically manifested hot take, which is just like, <laughs> So great. I love that Chuck Tingle has been moving away from like pounded in the butt by a goblin from the fourth dimension and into anthropomorphizing things that don't even have organic features (laughs) in the first place. Like he had one a while ago where it was like pounded in the butt by the living manifestation of my Twitch stream. And I was just cackling madly at that. That's so good. Wait, so you're telling me that's a real book? The the I don't, by the physical manifested hot take. I think Chuck Tingle really does write like little novellas to go with these covers, but I'm not actually sure. I've only I've only ever seen okay. book covers <laughs> from Chuck. I haven't investigated the Tingleverse. I uh I mean, I love this as a meme, but I would love it even more if it were if real. If it were a real book. <laughs> I mean, like let's find out how much text there is to back it up and maybe we'll read it on the bonus episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of, uh, if you're interested in getting another uh, episode from us, uh, basically uh, an episode every single week, uh, you can follow us uh, or you can subscribe on Patreon at patreon.com slash work stoppage. Uh, you can follow me at Solidarity B on Twitter and John at Facebook Villain. Thank you all for listening. And I think that that's all. That's all right. I think that's the show. Try not to get uh, too down about all of the stuff that's happening in the world. And if you do dunk on libertarians for a bit and look at some Chuck Tingle memes, I think you'll be all right. Yeah. Uh, Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, please do that. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.
Oh 